You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Hey, we're going to continue our series this morning called Matriarchs and Patriarchs. We're looking at certain people throughout church history that were normal everyday people, just like you, just like me. But they had an encounter with the supernatural God. And when these normal everyday people had a supernatural encounter with God, extraordinary things happened. That's my prayer for us. My prayer is that we would do a great work for Jesus as a church. You know, I don't want us at the end of time to be as a community in front of our Lord and Him saying, hey, you did a good work. You know, I don't want to just do a work. I don't want us as a church just to do some work. But I want us to do a great work, right? And at the end, I want Jesus to say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. That's my prayer for you. You know, that we wouldn't get to the end and, and just, and Jesus go, you know, okay, come in. <laughs> you know, I want us to say, oh man, here's my church in Ipswich. Man, you guys did a great work. That's my prayer for us. Don't you want that as well? Man, I want that. And so I really believe that, that we can look back in history and see people who, normal people like you and me, who encountered an extraordinary God and did some great work. Last week, we looked at a man called George Whitfield, who in born in 1714, was an uninteresting person, born in an uninteresting period of time, in an uninteresting town. Yet this man did something so interesting. Through God, he saw three revivals take place on two continents. Now, our call isn't to be like George Whitfield. We're not called to see that. George was called to see that. But I do believe last week we talked about it that George lived for something that we're all called to live for, and that thing was. Oh, thanks. There we go. My wife was taking notes. I'm glad that my wife listens to my preaching. That's good. That's good. And uh, in fact, I'm talking about anger today. So hopefully she listens to that today. And uh, we'll see. (laughs) We're supposed to live for? Yeah, well done. Well done, right? And we talked about what revival is. We talked about how the word revival simply means for God to breathe life into those things in our world that are in decay, right? Those things in our life that seem dead, God wants to breathe life and bring a revival. And I really believe that we are called to live a life of revival. Um, a little bit of pneumatology for you this morning. Let's, get, let's do some Bible college, a bit of pneumatology. Pneumatology just means the study of the Holy Spirit. Why do we call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit? Well, the word holy simply means worthy of worship or divine power. That's what the word holy means. It means divine power. Uh, Spirit comes from the word ruach. Everyone say ruach. And it simply means uh, breath or wind, right? And so the Holy Spirit is this divine breath, this divine wind. Uh, In Genesis 2-7, it says that God formed the man from the dust and he breathed the breath of life into this pile of dirt and this pile of dirt begin to breathe. Who knows that's pretty, some pretty divine breath, right? Breathe on your neighbour next to you, go. <sighs> Who had divine breath then, right? Who just had the breath of hell breathed on them, right? <laughs> right? God is divine breath. It's pretty divine to breathe over a pile of dirt and that dirt comes to life. I believe that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are refilled with that same creation breath. That when we have the Holy Spirit come into our life, God is breathing creation into you. And so today, 
we're going to continue looking at people who had that divine breath of the Holy Ghost blown into their life and something begins to take place. Something miraculous, some kind of creation begins to take place. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to call today's sermon the enemy of eternity. The enemy of eternity. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians. And when we read this the first time, I want you to go, Oh, that's a really nice scripture. Gives me that's, that's, that's lovely. But at the end of today, when we read this again at the end, I, I want the scripture to do two things. Number one, I either want it to totally transform and impact your world. Or number two, I want it to be something that just becomes so solid and foundational in your life that you're ready, right, for what we're going to talk about today. So those two things, either it totally transforms your world now or it builds some kind of foundation for when you experience what we're going to talk about today. This morning I want to tell you the story of two women. Uh, the first woman is called uh, Elizabeth um, Elliot and the second woman is Rachel Saint. Can we throw that screen up? Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint. These are the two women that we're going to talk about. We're talking about matriarchs and patriarchs. These guys are matriarchs. A matriarch is just a woman of, of leadership, a mother of the house, uh, you know, a, a, an important mother figure. And although they, they might not be classed as matriarchs in the Christian faith, I believe they are. And maybe when you hear the story today, you'll go, you know what? That's the kind of mother figure that I want to follow. Uh, Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot. But before I tell you about their story, I actually need to tell you another story. I need to tell you another story before we get to their story. And this story is about Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Yudurian, Peter Fleming, and Ed McCulley. In 1955, these five men were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they felt a call to missions work. And they felt God call them to Ecuador, to the Andes Mountains in Ecuador. And specifically, they felt God call them to a tribe called the Orca Indians. Now, the Orca Indians were known as a murderous, crazy tribe. In fact, in fact, all the tribes that lived around the Orca Indians called them savages, okay? These five men felt the call of God to go to this tribe. They wanted to learn the language, the, the Orca language. They wanted to translate the Bible in the Orca language. And they wanted to share the gospel, Nate Saint, uh, who is Rachel's brother, he was a pilot. And so what they did was they loaded up his plane and for three months they flew over this Orca village and they would drop supplies, they would drop gifts, things like food and gifts and, 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 and jewels and all these things to create a kind of uh, uh, friendship, right? So, you know, these people had never seen a plane before. They're now seeing all these beautiful things come from the plane. So these people must be friendly. They're giving us lots of gifts. On January 3rd, it was a Tuesday in 1956, the men decided to make their first ground landing. And they landed at a place called Palm Beach. Now, it wasn't on the beach because they were in the jungle, but there was this river that was seven kilometers away from this village. And in this river, there was a part of the riverbed that was exposed. And it was exposed enough for them to land their light plane, which you can see in the background here, onto the riverbed. 
And so they landed on, the, on, on, on what, to what they called Palm Beach. They, they set up their camp. Then they went and flew again for a few days, inviting the people of the Orca village, of the Orca tribe, to where they were. Eventually, on Saturday, uh, sorry, on Friday, they had their first visitors. A couple and a young girl. A part of that couple was a man called Nan Kiwi, which you can see here in this photo. This is Nan Kiwi. Uh, a funny story was that when Nan Kiwi saw the plane, he asked Nate Saint here if he can go for a fly as well. And so Nate Saint takes this person who's never seen a plane up in the plane. And the story goes that as Nate Saint was flying over the jungle, he could see other villages. And he saw, as, as, as Nate would fly low, he saw relatives in these villages and he would scream out in his language, look at me, I'm like a bird, which is quite just comical and, 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 and funny. But what happened was the young girl who was with Nankiwi and his partner, something happened, no, no one knows what for sure, but she decided to, to go back to her village. It was a seven kilometer walk in the dense jungle. There's other tribes around. And so she walks the seven kilometers it is to get to her village. And when she walks to her village, her brother is there and says, and he, he was upset that she was walking through the jungle alone. Why are you in the jungle alone? And she never gave an answer. When then Kiwi and his partner come back, the brother was so infuriated. He asks Nen Kiwi, why did my sister travel through the jungle alone? To save face, even though the, the, the men had been kind and showing and, and doing those, all, all this kind of stuff and took Nen Kiwi for a flight, to save face, Nen Kiwi lied. And he said that she went back alone because the missionaries had attacked them. Well, this really ticked off the Orca tribe. These guys are murderous, right? Savage. And so on Saturday afternoon, January 7th, 1956, all contact with Jim, Peter, Ed, Nate, and Roger was lost. The Orca tribe came down to Palm Beach where they were, and they sent two women onto the beach to distract the men. And as the men met with the women, the Orca men jumped out and speared all five men, and they all died there that day. Elizabeth Elliot is Jim Elliot's wife, and Rachel Saint is Nate Saint's sister. If there were two people in the world to legitimately hate someone, to legitimately be angry, and to legitimately have an enemy, it was Elizabeth and Rachel. Her husband had just been murdered. Rachel's brother had just been murdered. The Orca Indians are their enemy. The word enemy means this. It means a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone. Enemy means when one person harms or weakens another. I'm sure all of us here have had an experience or a moment in our life where you have felt it opposed, where you have felt weakened. And in that moment where you were posed or where you were weakened, in that moment, that person who is the oppressor becomes an enemy because they have created a weakness in the relationship. Two years ago, my son for the first time revealed who his enemy is. 
My eight-year-old has an enemy. When we first moved here five years ago, we joined a football club called Westminster. And we were all right. We lost a lot of games, whatever. And, uh, but there was one team that would always beat us. And when I say beat, I mean humiliate us. And that team was called Blackstone Welsh Dragons. Do you use your son play for Blackstone? Okay. <laughs> they would always beat us. We would do all right for a few games. We played Blackstone, walloping. We'd do all right, Blackstone, beat. For three years, this team beat, our, beat Malachi's team. And this one day, we were driving past, uh, past the Blackstone field, and I really got an insight into how this was affecting my son psychologically. And as we drove past, he said, Dad, there's Blackstone. I looked at him. He said, they're my arch nemesis. And then he said this. He said, they're evil. <laughs> I'm thinking, holy moly, my kid's got problems. <laughs> Far out. So I did what every good dad would do in that situation. I went straight to the doctor and uh, talked to my kid. And, uh, no, but truth be told, we played them in the grand final this year and beat them 7-1. Not that, you know, not that, you know, I'm, you know, not that I'm counting that. Um, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a humble person, right? Humility is one of my strengths, right? And, uh, you know, in fact, we won the grand final two years in a row, just so you know. I don't know why I'm going over this side. I'm just, you know, just not that that matters. Not that, it, like, it doesn't matter. Um, but it just, yeah, anyway, you just need to know that, I think, right? <laughs> he had an enemy because the enemy had broken something in him. And he had this arch nemesis because this team kept breaking his spirit. And I'm sure there's people here today where your confidence has been shattered. I'm sure there's people here today where consistency has been destroyed, where joy has been stolen, where peace has been robbed, where hope has been eradicated, where love has been trampled on, where faith has been rocked, where integrity has been questioned, and not by anything that you did per se, but, right, uh, but, but because of someone else, right? An enemy is someone who has broken the peace. And I wonder, are there any areas in your life right now where peace is broken, where peace has been destroyed. I wonder this morning, is there an enemy in your life? Do you have an arch nemesis, right? Uh, someone uh, who, you know, when something bad goes wrong, you smile, you know, that kind of person, you know, that, you know, they, something bad and you go, <laughs> right, that person, right? I wonder, do we have anyone in our life that we just go, you know what, I can't stand that person. Now, have that picture in your head, right? Some of us might, not some of us might, but before you tell the neighbor who that person is, okay, and let's just hope that it's not your partner, your spouse that you're with, because that's an awkward day in church, okay? Uh, before, before we talk about your enemy, before we talk about that person, right, who has broken peace in your life, I first need to talk about eternity. We have to talk about eternity first, okay? Let's talk about eternity. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. I want to unpack this word here, eternal life or eternity. Um, in the Greek, it has two dimensions. There's two meanings to this word uh, in the Greek because there's two meanings to this word 
in the Jewish understanding, right, uh, where these people are at. The word eternal life in the Greek is the word ahonius. So ahionius. And it means this. It means a perpetual period of time, both in the past, present, and future. So I'll tell you what eternity isn't. Eternity isn't now till forever. That's not eternity. Eternity is a perpetual period of time, both in the past, present, and in the future. So eternity is forever that way. Eternity is my present situation. And eternity is forever that way. Okay? And so whenever you see the word eternal life in Scripture, it's talking about eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. Right? That's what the word eternity means. Whenever the Bible speaks of eternal life, it refers to a gift of God that comes only through Jesus, right? So eternal life is a gift, okay? It's a gift from God. Um, This gift is in contrast to the death that we see in the Scripture that is a natural result of sin, right? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? There's a natural consequence, there's a natural result when we walk away from God's intended design. When we say yes to Jesus and we walk in God's intended design, it's a gift of eternal life that God is now in our past, present, in our future. But if we walk away from God's intended design, the natural consequence of that is that our life falls into decay. Okay, that's the natural consequence. Um, Let me explain. Um, Babe, can you just block your ears for a second? I've got to tell everyone something, so just block them. Thanks. Don't unblock them until I tell you. No, no. Don't unblock them until I tell you. Okay. I haven't ridden my motorbike for three months. Okay. Block your ears. No, can you please? Please block your ears. Do it. I haven't ridden my motorbike for three months, right? We went to Tasmania, so I don't tell her that, because she she'll tell me to sell it, right? We got back from Tasmania, and I thought, I better take the bike for a ride. And so I got my keys, I went to start the bike, but it wouldn't start. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, it sucks, right? The reason that it wouldn't start, it was, it was because the bike wasn't doing for three months what it was intended to do. Its initial design was to be ridden. And as it gets ridden, it increases life, right? The battery gets filled up with life, with juice, with, you know. But I hadn't been riding it. And so now the bike has died, right? It hasn't been ridden because it hasn't done what it's intended, what it was intended to do. Okay, you can unblock your ears now. Thanks, great. Don't tell her that, right? Uh, Right? But our life is the same. When we aren't living in God's intended design, Things in our life become flat, right? Things in our life start to decay when we're not doing what God has called us to do. That's the natural result of sin is death and decay as we turn away from God. But the scripture here says that eternal life, right? Life is a gift. Now, I actually want to show you the second dimension to this word eternity. This word eternity means a perpetual, a perpetual amount of time both in the past, present, and the future. But there was a second dimension to eternity. The word arheonius 
also carries the dimension of quality as well as quantity. And so whenever you talked about eternal life, it wasn't just about a perpetual amount of time, both in the past, present, and the future, but it was a perpetual quality of life, both in the past, the present, and the future. And so eternal life wasn't just about time, but it was also about quality. The Strong's Concordance says it, says it this way, and I just thought it was brilliant, so I put it in, the, in here. Strong says, Eternity does not focus on the future per se, but rather on the quality of the age that it relates to. Thus, believers live in eternal, archaeonious life right now. It's experiencing this quality of God's life now at present possession, right? So not only is eternal life an infinite amount of time, both past, present, and future, but eternal life is also an idea of quality of life, right? Eternal life can be thought of something that Christians can have right now and experience a quality of life right now. John says it this way, right? Jesus said, I came to give life and life to its fullest, right? Abundance. Uh, John 6, 3, Jesus says, I came to give life. Matthew 20, 28 says, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, right? You don't have to wait for eternal life, right? Because it's not something that starts when you die, but rather eternal life is something that happens when you experience Jesus right now. And then you experience a quality of life. That is eternal life, right? And that is the gift from God. John 3.36 says, And anyone who believes in God has eternal life. John 6.47 says, I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. The focus of eternal life is not on our future then, but it's on our current standing with God. Eternal life then is not about our future, you know, where are you going to be one day, but it's about right now, here, right now. Meaning this, that although we currently might have some enemies in our life, right, people or circumstances who are breaking peace, if you are currently in communication, contact, exchange, run with the tied in or tied up with Jesus, you can experience a quality of life both in your past, in your present, and in your future if you say yes to Jesus. Isn't that good news, right? That when we say yes to Jesus now, at that moment, we can see Jesus in our past. That when we say yes to Jesus now, we have a quality of life in our present age, And when we say yes to Jesus now, our hope and our future is assured in Christ. Isn't that good news? That's eternal life. How cool is that? Eternal life is that I have a quality of life, both in my past, present, and in my future. I want to show you a story that Jesus talks about. He talks about eternal life. In fact, someone asks him about eternal life. And Jesus tells us what the enemy is of eternal life. I want you all to experience eternal life. I want you all to have, I want you all to see Jesus in your past. And all those things that happened in the past in your life, things that were, you know, uh, maybe there were some horrible things, maybe some unfortunate things. I want you to be able to see Christ in them nonetheless. 
I want you to experience Jesus now, and I want your future to be assured. But there's an enemy, because I also want your life to be a life of quality. But there's an enemy to that quality of life. Jesus shows us who that enemy is in Luke 10, 25. You can read on with me. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard this story before. I want to show you something in here. Maybe you haven't seen before. Uh, maybe you have, and we'll just uh, 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 you know, double down on it this morning. But Luke 10, 25 says this. One day, everyone say one day. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What he's asking is this. Jesus, what should I do to inherit a quality of life both in my past, present and future? That's what he's asking, right? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? For the Jew, it was shalom, right? Shalom just means peace. What do I need to do to have perpetual peace in my life, both in my past, present and in my future? Jesus replies and says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, he actually uh, uh, quotes Deuteronomy 6 here. He says, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Moses says. That's what the Bible says, right? Uh, That's how I find eternal life. That's how I find peace is I love God and love people. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says, Correct. You answered it yourself. Well done. Good. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Follow the law and you will live. Follow the scripture and you will live. If you love God and love people in your everyday life, you will find peace. If you love God and love your spouse, you will find peace in your marriage. If you love God and love your children, you will have peace in your home. If you love God and love your work colleagues, you will have peace in your workplace. Shalom. If you love God and love people, love God and love your neighbour, you will find perpetual peace. Do this and you will live. But the man in verse 29 says this. It says that the man wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Now, in Jesus' day, this was the rage topic. Every rabbi was talking about or teaching who is my neighbor. They were unpacking Deuteronomy 6. Who is my neighbor? Some rabbis would say, well, your neighbor is those who are physically close to you. You know, they're your neighbor, like what we would understand. Some rabbis would say, well, your neighbor, that's your household. That's the people that you live with and your extended family. Some rabbis said, well, your neighbor, neighbor simply means uh, close, right? That's, that's, that's what the word means. It means someone close. And so some neighbors, uh, some rabbis said, well, a neighbor is anyone who is close to you in that moment in your life. You know, if, if someone is next to you, that's your neighbor. Uh, some rabbis said, you know, well, uh, 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 you know, this is a, a, you know, maybe it's like close nations. And so the nations who are close to us, they're our neighbors. All these rabbis had a different understanding of what the word neighbor meant. But all of them agreed on who their neighbor wasn't. Every single one of them. There was two people. Although they couldn't agree on on who the neighbor was, there was two people groups that they said, this is who isn't our neighbor. The first group of people is what they called pagans. 
pagans aren't our neighbours, right? People, evil people aren't our neighbours. People who don't believe in God, they're not our pagans, right? They worship other gods. The second group of people that they all agreed weren't our neighbour were Samaritans. Everyone agreed. Pagans and Samaritans aren't our neighbour, but who else, uh, who is our neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. Right? The man asked, who is my neighbour? Because all the rabbis, they're saying they got a different, they got a different understanding of who our neighbour is, but they all agree that pagans and Samaritans aren't our neighbour. Jesus replies with a story. He says, a Jewish man, right? So once again, he's relating to everyone here, was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. That word half dead, that's a key word right there. In Jewish law, if anyone was bleeding, that would make them what we would call uh, by a religious law unclean, meaning you weren't allowed to touch them. If you did, you had to go through rigorous uh, uh, things, uh, rigorous uh, sacrifices and, and things like this to become clean. And so this man was half dead. He was bleeding, he was hurt, he was unclean. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in Sunday school, and I, who loves our kids, kids leaders next door right now? Who loves them? All right, let's, let's pray for them, praise God for them. But I think we're a bit duped into this story in Sunday school, because when I was in Sunday school, I really didn't like those two guys. Were you the same? Who didn't like these two guys? Come on, this, this, you can interact, right? These guys, these guys are jerks. They walked past a man who needed help. The man was half dead. He's been beaten. These things have been stolen. And this priest, who's a Levite, walks past him. What a jerk. This other guy, he's an intern in the temple. He's an intern at church. He walks past, what a jerk, right? He walks past this guy on the road. Right, we were told these people are naughty. Actually, when Jesus said this story, no one would have thought that they were doing anything bad. Because Levites followed the Bible literally. They followed the Torah literally. And so by law, they weren't allowed to touch the guy. By scriptural law, they couldn't touch him because he was unclean. And so they did what the Bible told them to do. They were good righteous, religious people. So when Jesus told the story, everyone was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what they should have done. They should have walked around that guy because they weren't allowed to touch him. Then Jesus says this. He says, verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now right here, Jesus just offended everybody. He just offended, because you don't talk about Samaritans, Right? And he says despised. Why? Why not just say Samaritan, right? But he despised Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, the reason that Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews was a long, long time ago, a group of Jewish men went out and married pagan women. And they became Samaritans. Samaritans were these half-breed Jews. And so Jews would kill Samaritans and Samaritans would kill Jews because they were Jews who did the worst thing that you could possibly do, go and marry pagans. These people cannot be our neighbours, right? 
pagans aren't our neighbours. And so when these Jewish men went and married pagan women, Samaritans no longer could be our neighbours, right? So Jesus brings us the spice Samaritan into the story. Samaritans, by the way, still follow Jewish law. And so Samaritans still went to temple. Samaritans still followed the Torah. In fact, they followed the Torah just like the Levites, but they took the Bible literally, right? So this Samaritan should have done the exact same thing that the priest and the temple assistant did, which is walk around him and not be unclean. But the Samaritan saw the man and he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed these wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, meaning this, that the Samaritan put aside his theology to help this person. The Samaritan put aside his theology to help a person in need. Interesting. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, verse 36. Now, which of these three, this is Jesus now, talking to the man of religious law, uh, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked? The man responds, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. Can't even get that word out of his lips. He hates Samaritans. It's like Harry Potter. You know Harry Potter? Can't mention that name around here. The name that should not be mentioned, right? That's what these people are like with Samaritan. Doesn't even say, oh, the Samaritan. No, no, the man who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says this, yes, now go and do the same. We've read this story so long. And for me, I'm talking to me. And we all think it's about helping people who are down on their luck. But this story actually has nothing to do with helping people who are down on their luck. Now let me say this, helping people is important. In fact, that's another enemy to eternity. Jesus only ever sends one person to hell. And that was when the rich man overlooked the poor man. And Jesus said, he's going to hell, right? It is important to help people down on their luck. But this story has nothing to do with helping the Jewish man who has been beaten, right? This story is actually about loving the Samaritan. This story is about loving your enemy. This story is about loving that person that you find disgusting. This story is about finding that about loving that person that you despise. This, you know, this story is about loving that person who when bad things happen, you smile, right? All of us can help someone when they're down, right? But what about that person that really makes your skin crawl? Can you love them? Can you love that person? Can you love that person that broke peace in your life? Can you love that person who destroyed something, right? Because here's the thing. That person is also made in the image of God. That person was also breathed into at one point in their life. And they came to life. And they became a person made in the image of God. God's breath is also in that person. In 1956, the five missionaries were speared to death. Elizabeth's husband, Rachel's brother. They should have had enemies. But in 1958, two years later, 
these women have a call of God. They feel the Holy Spirit breathing life in, into their life. And they go back to the Andes Mountains in Ecuador. And they begin learning the Orca language. They make friends with a woman who had left the tribe and she takes them into the village. The same village that murdered the husband, the same village that murdered the brother. And these two women go into the village of the very people that they should have despised. They're enemies. The Orca Indians, they broke shalom, they broke peace. Elizabeth, I'm sure, had hopes of a family and, and a long life with her husband. Rachel would have wanted her brother around. But the Orca Indians broke peace. In the worst way, they murdered their family. These women should have hated those people. These women should have lived a life hurt and hating the Orca Indians. In 1958, they go back to the village and they mingle with the people that had murdered their husband and their brother. In a nine year period from that, from 1958, uh, Rachel, she lived with the Orca Indians until she died. She died there in this village. Elizabeth and her worked there for nine years. In that nine years, they translated the book of Mark into the Orca language. In nine years, they, they, they learned the language. In nine years, the entire village, within nine years, the entire village got saved and met Jesus. <laughs> the guy who speared Jim Elliot became the pastor of the village. He ends up baptizing Rachel's two children. How cool is that? These women should have had an enemy. Here's the thing. When you live a life of hate and hurt, when you live a life where someone always owes you an apology, if we live in a way where we're always looking for retribution, that doesn't actually give us a quality of life. In fact, it causes decay on the inside. Actually, it makes our hearts sick, right? Un My pastor used to say all the time, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. These girls should have hated this tribe, should have hated them. But God speaks to them, ordinary girls. God speaks to them. The Holy Spirit breathes revival into their life and they go to their Samaritan. They go to the person they should have hated. And how cool is that story? God uses this woman, a wife, and this woman, a sister of the slain missionaries to reconcile the orcas and bring them to ultimate reconciliation with Jesus, right? 
They should have harbored hurt, but they didn't. It was because of their infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit that God showed mercy to them. And then they reciprocated and they showed mercy to the Orca Indians who were the enemies of their who were the enemies of their peace. But instead of hating, Elizabeth and Rachel chose to love their neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Anyone can love the people that are close. But who's your pagan and Samaritan? (laughs) Who are the people in your life that broke peace? Who's the person in your life that you, man, when you see their face in your head, it's just like, man, they owe me. They owe me an apology. They owe me something. Who is your neighbor? I'll tell you what the enemy of eternity is. Eternity is a perpetual quality of life, both in your past, present, and future. The enemy of eternity is not loving your neighbor. It's that simple. The enemy of eternity is not loving your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Who's taking your confidence? Who's taking your joy, your peace, your hope, your faith, your integrity? That person is your neighbor. If you want to live an eternal life, then love your neighbor. Meaning this, give over anger and the retribution to Jesus and let go of the debt that they owe you. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. It says this, And all of this is a gift from God. What's a gift from God? Eternal life. What's eternal life? A perpetual quality of life, both in my past, present and future. All of this is a gift. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Jesus. So it's through Jesus that we have eternal life. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. So God has given us this gift of perpetual quality, both in our past, present and future. And now it's our job to show people that God can give them a quality of life, both in their past, present and future, right? That's our job. Check check this out. Verse 19. Can we get the Scripture up? 2 Corinthians? Great. Um, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You know, the Bible says that before we met Jesus, we were enemies of God. Before we knew Jesus, the Bible says that we were enemies of God. We broke the peace. God didn't. We did. We broke shalom. We broke the peace. We are enemies. But God, in His love for His neighbour, sends His Son to reconcile the world back to Himself. How cool is that? No longer counting people's sins against them. Check this out. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Meaning this, we are now to imitate God in His reconciliation. We are to imitate Jesus in reconciliation. Just as God loved His enemy, us, brought us back, we, just as we have to love our enemy and bring them back. How powerful is that? That's my prayer for you today. My prayer 
is that you would experience eternal life in your home. My prayer for you is that you would experience eternal life in your marriage, in your relationships. My prayer for you is that you would experience eternal life in your past, that you'd be able to look back. And although there might be things way back here that people owe you and there's hurt, retribution, regret, I'm praying that you see actually Jesus in the midst of that. I'm praying that right now, there might be some of you here and say, you know what? I want that eternal life. I want that quality of life that Jesus brings. Just in a moment, I'm going to ask. And if that's you saying, you know what, Tim? I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to perpetual quality of life, both in my past, present, and future. I'm going to ask you just in a moment. But my prayer is also that at the end of time, of our time, that when we're standing in front of Jesus, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, because you loved your neighbor. How cool is that? Come on, let's give God some praise right now. If you are here, let me just let's close our eyes here. You're saying, Tim, I want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe first time in a long time, you just feel disconnected. You feel discarded. If you're saying, Tim, you know, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to a quality of life found in Jesus. And if that's you, can you just give me a, just put your hand up just where you are. Just, just give me a quick wave so I can pray for you. Anyone? Awesome, up the back. Thank you. Awesome, here. Thank you. Anyone else? St. Tim, pray for me. Awesome, thank you. Anyone else? Awesome, thanks. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? St. Tim, pray for me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to that quality of life. I want to ask Jesus into my heart today. Anyone else? Okay, just so I know who I'm praying for, just while our eyes are closed still, can you please, just those who put your hand up, can you put it up really high just so I can see? Um, okay, yeah, one two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think we got everyone seven. Cool. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, you see the hearts of all these people here right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would enter their life like never before, that you, Holy Spirit, would breathe right now into their minds, that you would breathe right now into their hearts, Lord. I pray, I thank you, Jesus, that right now, Lord, that you are standing in the gap, that you are interceding for these people right now. And so, Lord, I pray for the power of heaven, for that divine wind, for that divine breath right now to blow into their life, into their existence. And I pray, Lord, that they would see a quality of life, both in their past, present, and in their future. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give God praise for seven people this morning saying yes to Jesus. That's so, so cool. So, so cool. How about, let's stand. Let's all stand and we're going to worship God. This is, what, this is what I want to do. I want to open the front here for prayer, for two things. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I have some neighbours in my life. <laughs> right? I have some people that when I see their face, man, I just want to lay the fivefold ministry into them, right? We're going to pray that God does a miracle work in your life today. And so if, that's you, if you're saying, Tim, you know what? I do have some people that I harbour something against. I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit breaks it over your life. Um, over, over your life. The second people that I want to pray for this morning, if, if you're here today, is you're saying, you know what, Tim? I want to live that life like Rachel and Elizabeth. I want to live that kind of life where I can go into the most hostile of situations and the power of God will use me to see people find Jesus, okay? So I want to pray for two people. Number one, there's just a, a stronghold in your life 
right? We're, 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 we're going to pray that God breaks. But then I want to pray for you if you're saying, you know what? I feel the call to go into hostile situations, right? Whether it's in your workplace or whether it's missions, whatever. And I'm going to pray that God would speak into your life. As we pray for people, we're going to sing this song with faith and power. Jubilation. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 